everybody, Anthony Corelli here, formerly known as Santino Marella, and you're listening to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast. You are listening to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast with Mark Madison. In this episode, the guest is Anthony Corelli, formerly known as Santino Marella. Visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. Find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, or whatever your preferred podcast app is. And now, here's Mark Madison. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast, and I am joined by Mr. Anthony Corelli. Um, If the name may not sound as familiar, um, his previous persona may, Mr. Santino Morella. Uh, Thank you, Anthony, for your time and your energy. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, so, fans, you know, once you walked away from the WWE, they may not have been as aware of where your life might have headed or what your other passions might have been. Maybe for those that aren't as familiar, if we could bring them up to speed. Yeah, I mean, I knew my neck was eventually going to, you know, not allow me to wrestle anymore. So I wanted to start up a business. Uh, while I was still there, you know, capitalize on that on that kind of brand that I established. So um, I opened up Battle Arts Academy, and this September is actually our five-year anniversary. Um, Battle Arts, the original Battle Arts, was in Japan, and I went there in 2004, and I trained there for a year with Mr. Yuki Ishikawa. And um, I was over in Japan one time having lunch. with I was there with WWE, and I, I met up with Mr. Ishikawa, and his, his original battle arts had closed down, and I thought to myself, gosh, if I can get this guy to Canada with his submission expertise, uh, as well as professional wrestling expertise, you know, we could really provide a, a, a quality product to people that live in the community. So, um, yeah, he agreed. We came over, and uh, it's been five years that we've been here, and, and uh, we do Olympic combative sports, you know, judo, wrestling, boxing, and of course, we do professional wrestling and stuff. Um, what was what was it that took maybe some convincing on your part to bring Mr. Ishikawa to Canada? Uh, I didn't take much convincing. He, he was he was uh, pretty happy to come here and, and start this new adventure. Um, fantastic. Uh, so you you talk about some of the things that Battle Arts provides, not just uh, young, but does um, uh, a age range as far as who you provide your services for, or? Yeah, we um, provide, we have kids' classes, and uh, then we, you know, at 6 o'clock, it's kind of family time. The parents and the kids can come and kind of, you know, separate, and the kids do their stuff, and the parents get their fitness in. And then 7 o'clock, we have kind of competitive athletes, uh, you know, teenagers and stuff, stuff like that. And then later at night, we got, you know, professional fighters, professional wrestlers, and, and it's so as the night progresses, it gets a little more intense. Right. Uh, based off of your age range, they can go later, they can go harder. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, before their, their battle arts became um, had come to fruition, fans did are familiar with Santino as a character and a persona. Um, part of it is fictionally based. Part of it, um, some reality. Maybe you could weave in where fans can see that, you know, how Anthony Corelli and Santino are kind of inseparable and yet are separable. Well, yeah, I mean, I drew a lot of my immediate environment. You know, I grew up in Mississauga, Ontario, and most of my friends are first-generation Canadians. 
their parents either came from Greece or Croatia or Italy or Portugal. So we had a lot of the, you know, the English language kind of butchered by a lot of our parents and in, in, in really funny and entertaining ways. And Santino just really drew upon his, his the environment in which I grew up in. And, you know, for example, what I would say, son of a gun and stuff like that, that's all just growing up in Mississauga. But, yeah, I did, definitely did not train to be a Santino. I trained to be, like, a more serious wrestler. And this was just, you know, this opportunity just pre- pre- uh, presented itself uh, as the character evolved. And, and I was, you know, ready and willing to, to take whatever opportunity was there. So we ended up being a comedic uh, wrestler, which is fine, you know, sharing a lot of laughter with a lot of people and bringing smiles to people's faces is, is, is has been an honor and a privilege. But, uh, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it, it was great. I, I enjoyed it. It's, I enjoyed being Anthony again. You know, life after wrestling has been awesome, so I can't complain there. Um, in an ideal world, if you could have drawn up, because you did train to be very... Uh, and to, to those that have seen your submission work and, and know that uh, there's a lot of technique behind the Santino. It's comedic, but there's a lot of skill in pulling that off. What could you have envisioned for how you ideally would have liked to be perceived? Um, I mean, like, for example, some of the wrestlers that I really liked were guys like Dean Malenko and Dynamite Kid and Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, Owen Hart, like guys around my size, you know, I'm 5'10" and uh, guys that were technical and tough and strong. So I would have tried to emulate guys like that. Uh, and, and it was evident in, um, in, in nuances and points uh, throughout your career that you know, that skill set was definitely there. Just Unfortunately, we couldn't have seen that kind of um, come about a little more so. Yeah, I mean, it's over. In the beginning, I was kind of like, yeah, I want to wrestle this way, but... What we got, you know, sometimes you, what's the expression? You don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. So I, I would say we definitely got what we needed. Well framed, well framed. Um, in, in talking to a lot of uh, talent that train, there's a different mindsets that go into trying developing a character not just a, a technique but just the persona as well um, a little more hard-nosed are those that feel that you know if you learn this way it'll prepare you for the ins and outs of the business is there any particular mindset that you would want to instill in your students that you feel was best or things that you would like to have changed because i'm sure you've crossed the paths of other people that uh, this way is better than this way well, it's interesting because every single journey is a unique one in professional wrestling. Um, some guys are six foot six and they're models, and some guys are five foot six and they're workhorses, and you know everything in between, right? There's guys that come from all different backgrounds and countries and walks of life. So it's, it's. I mean, there are attributes you should have and skill sets you should work on to give you better odds at making it. But then you got guys like James Ellsworth that are kind of counterproductive with regards to me telling all my students to lift weights and get in shape. Um, but those are anomalies, and they have to know that they have a better chance, you know, being in shape than being that one-in-a-million anomaly. Um, who would you say that you were able to lean on that provided to, to teach you that, you know, it is the set course that you need to follow. It's not necessarily to be the anomaly like you, you had said. Well, I had... 
you know, a few coaches. One, my first coach was Don Koloff, and he was all about, you know, protecting yourself and being very professional. And then I had Mystery Shikawa, who was all about bringing out that e- emotion in the fight, you know. And then Rip Rogers, uh, who taught me all about, you know, uh, WWE-style psychology and kind of in an old-school context. And then, of course, I had Al Snow, kind of that finishing touches, polishing coach that helped me, you know, put everything together as well. So I was really blessed with four very different but four very effective coaches. And then once you get to WWE, you know, you're surrounded by the best minds in the business. Uh, you had mentioned four very well-known, experienced, um, notable coaches in the ones that you have. Of those, would you say that you you take from each of them and you try to instill that in students? Or um, is there one that you tend to philosophically follow more so? I would say I follow Rip Rogers more than anybody else, but I do follow bits and pieces from everybody. So now, it's interesting that you mentioned Rip Rogers and that he tends to he criticizes and he's more than well justified in that because he's lived it. He's experienced it. Some of today's talent and some of the t- today's technique and, and opinions on how things are done and that there isn't the psychology. What you're kind of in between um, your age wise and, and what you see in your exposure. What's, what's your perspective on that per se and that there's no psychology as opposed to no, there is, but um, well, there's a lot of psychology that's not being followed right now, and the quality of wrestling definitely got diluted. As soon as wrestling fans were able to become wrestlers, um, then the floodgates were opened, and it's a natural process when you have guys renting a, or buying a ring and renting a unit. Now, they're teaching wrestling, but all they ever did was work on the indies, and they didn't have the right psychology, so how can they be teaching? And, you know, like, anyway, just like in the United States, like, the dumb people breed faster than smart people, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, and it's the same with wrestling, you know, bad wrestling is, is being taught at a, a higher, faster rate than good wrestling. I mean, there's different genres, right? There's lucha, and there's that, you know, strong style, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, that realistic uh, MMA style, you know, work shoot. And there's that old school storytelling, and there's, there's many, many genres. It's not one's not right and one's not wrong. It just depends. Like it's like uh, Dr. Tom always says, wrestling is like Baskin Robbins. You know, everybody has a different preferred flavor. Um, and that flavor seems to be more so like um, with the talent booming in the UK and still Canada being uh, a budding area. Um, from your experiences and who you've come across that may not be getting the, the attention now, um, now that you can sit back and look at it objectively. Who would you say are ones that seem to have all the keys, that they're a bit of a throwback, and yet they're, um, they're on the cusp of becoming more popular, and what is it they might need? In the WWE? It could, it could be anywhere. It could be in the WWE. It could be somebody you've, uh, you've come into contact through your training. Uh, it's somebody that's maybe gone through your school, somebody... Yeah, well, in Canada, we have a a very extraordinarily deep talent pool, um, which kind of hurts some of the guys here in the sense, if you want to go to NXT and, uh, you know, they already have all these Canadians, it's kind of like that Canadian quota has been met, so you have to be super exceptional. 
But when I see the indies up here, I see a lot of guys that could very easily be be working in NXT. Um, so hopefully one day we have NXT North mm-hmm. and we do a, a Canadian developmental territory because there's a lot of like, I mean a lot of guys right now just off the top of my head, you know RJ City, Josh Alexander, um, Marcus Burke out in the East Coast. There's you know. Uh, Park and, and uh, there's just gosh and the adventurer and a lot of the guys are getting opportunities now in Impact because Impact Wrestling has their office in, in Toronto. Uh, but there are a lot of guys, Michael Elgin. There's so many guys. Look at Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho. They're all Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's tons of guys. You know, uh, Big Magic out in uh, in Montreal. Um, everyone is super talented. Everyone could be on and that I just mentioned could definitely be. In NXT right now. Oh, uh, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, but it, it, it's going to be tough to get everyone there. Uh, it, I guess with time, and patience, and just perseverance on their part, they'll hopefully get the the yeah. right eyes on them. Yep, it's definitely a, a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> For sure. Um, one of the names you did just mention was Mr. Marcus Burke. Uh, based out in the East Coast, uh, I think Newfoundland Maritimes area. You had an opportunity yeah. to compete there. Uh, and was part of a traditional ceremony. How did that all initially come about? How did this ceremony come about? Uh, maybe you can share that And for those that aren't aware. Yeah, so I don't really take bookings. I don't really go on loops, but I got a call from Marcus Burke, and I'm like, hell yeah, I'll come out to the East Coast. I love the East Coast. The Maritimes are awesome. So uh, that was my only tour all summer. So I went out there and I tagged with a young kid uh, from Newfoundland, and he would do the old Newfie scree- uh, screeched-in ceremony. Uh, it was just a good time, and the East Coast is is, is just awesome. So um, I have the luxury of being able to pick and choose where I want to go. So the uh, East Coast is a no-brainer. I love it. Um, so you said you were screeched in. Maybe you could try to uh, orally oh, paint yeah. a picture for us. What does that mean? So uh, screeching in is a ceremony to be an honorary Newfoundlander or Newfie. And uh, screech is a, is a type of rum that they drink out there. It's very strong. So you got to drink some rum and you got to kiss a cod, a codfish. <laughs> and um, you have to repeat a, a, a saying and a slogan. And then that's it. You're, you're an honorary member. And I got a little diploma or certificate, I should say. And I was an honorary Newfie. Outstanding. Um, your Battle Arts Academy trains, develops talent. Uh, Randy Royal is one of the names that um, immediately kind of pops to mind. Uh, whom else would you say that you're un- is under your tutelage or that you've seen is developing, um, has that bright future upon them? They just need to continue to work. Man, I have a lot of guys here that are very... Dustin Quicksilver just wrestled Austin Aries on Impact. I got Bolo Fang, who's a Chinese superstar... Randy Bino, Randy Aruda, they're both, you know, six foot five, six foot six, great physiques. I got Carew and Cadman, um, Brute Force, they're a tag team. They're, you know, they're both like 260, 280, like big guys. They can move, they get it. Um, I got some new up and coming, John Gonzalez from Columbia, he's wicked. Uh, Matt Black, 24 years old, the guy, you know, I have, um, not just a school. I, I could, if I wanted to become a promoter, I could use my talent and have a you know a, a very unique show with uh, with very good wrestlers. Has that idea 
been entertained at all? No, we have our student shows once a month, to, uh, part of the education. There's just no time for me to, to do that. You okay. Know, to, to get to get a uh, a ring and travel and set up bookings and um yeah, not yet. Destiny Wrestling does it. Provide some opportunities for guys to get some work, and they use my students when they, whenever possible. Uh, that's a promotion that runs out of my building. So inside Battle Arts Academy, uh, we have the Don Koloff Arena, and that is an opportunity for my, our students to get experience working in front of a live audience. And then the byproduct is that we have this arena, so we can rent it out. And Impact does some tapings here. Uh, Destiny does the tapings here. We also do boxing events here. So there's quite a bit of stuff that we could do in the Don Koloff Arena. Uh, Don Koloff being one of your trainers, it's kind of the inspiration yeah. for the name? Yes, 100%. Uh, so now you talk about Destiny. Uh, what are the ties to Destiny, and uh, what do you see for that promotion within through Don Koloff and um, through its connection through you. Yeah, I mean, uh, George uh, Menzies, uh, a.k.a. the Iceman, he, he runs it, operates it. He has a very good uh, vision for what he, where he wants to go. He has his finger on the pulse of the indie scene. He knows who's hot and who's, gonna, who's up and coming. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it's been a pleasure to watch him systematically grow and become larger and larger and get more of a, a, an online buzz and uh, sorry, just want to take a step back because you mentioned a, a number of great names that are developing and going through your school and your system. What is it that you, as somebody that's training them, sees them that stands out? What, is, what intangible, what quality about each one of those that you named is, makes them so special? Well, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's it factor, and you can't, I, could, I could try and describe the it factor all day. It's just the it factor is what it is. But of course, you want someone to be intelligent. You want someone to be tall and have a very good uh, aesthetic, you know, look to them. Um, and you have to have a good attitude socially. You got to be a good negotiator because you're going to have to talk about putting together matches and and giving a little and taking a little, and and you have to have that balance. And you got to be someone who's just generally likable. If you're a guy and you love wrestling and you've had you have social problems and you know, you have no friends, and it's going to be really hard for you. you got to be very likable. This is not a real sport in the sense that you're not competing to get a real result. So this is based on, you know, being chosen and selected and being liked. Uh, so you have to be quite social. Uh, so I take it you've had your experiences with those that make it that much more of a challenge? Yeah, you know, there's guys that come in that, that have all this skill set, but, you know, they rub everybody the wrong way. There's guys that come in that are awesome wrestlers that just suck on the mic. And uh, so mic skills are very important. You, you have to be charming, you know. You just got to be charming. If I was to ask you, hey, there's a girl at school and I, I want her to like me, what should I do? You know, all those things that you would tell me to do are also qualities that people should have. You know, you want to catch their attention, stand out, be nice, be respectful, or, or whatever you're going to try and tell me to, to like her. As a wrestler, if I'm a good guy, I, I want to stand out and I want to be liked and I want to be respectful to the audience and respectful to my opponent and all this other stuff. Um, but or, or you can summarize it as the it factor as well. 
Uh, and the if factor does vary, like you've said, from person to person. And uh, But it, those are general guidelines. So you mentioned height, but um, you're at 5'10", not necessarily as, as tall as them, but still those other intangibles stick out regardless of height. Yeah, you can overcome height with a larger-than-life personality for sure. Definitely. Uh, now, um, a father-to-be, um, your you, your wife is involved in fitness, and that's all a part of your life as well. Do you foresee, it's really hard to say something like this, but um, you've seen the ins and outs and the highs and the lows of the business itself. Is it something that you would want to educate them about um, if it was something that they wanted to entertain as a potential future? Yeah, well, my daughter is training right now. She's 23 years old. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking about your, your younger one that's that's set to come, but uh, your daughter that's training now. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a time when I started wrestling where I thought, no way I'll put, I would put my daughter in this, but it has evolved to the point where I feel comfortable about, about you know, allowing her to wrestle. So she just started her training now, and it should be fun to watch her progress and learn and all that stuff. Uh, we've, if anyone's ever seen the, um, uh, the Mick Foley show, how I th- I'm sure it was have a nice day or something along those lines. It was, um, on the WWE network and how his daughter kind of went through it. Uh, do you see the, the challenges of being, you need to overcome certain challenges if it's, if this is really important to you? For, for, your, for your daughter? For your daughter, yeah. Yeah, my daughter is going to be fine. She has all the skills that she's tall, she's athletic, she's pretty, she can talk in the mic. She's she's going to be, um, she's going to be fine. I'm just going to get her up to a point where she can go down to NXT, and I want to make sure that she understands this is no joke. Even though it's you know he can't take it so serious, but it's also something you got to take serious. And um, and when she's ready, she'll go down there, and, and, and they'll teach her. The, the finer points, no doubt. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the education down there. I mean, like, Shawn Michaels is there, and, uh, you know, Scotty Tuhati and Matt Bloom and Steve Carino, and there's just you know, Norman Smiley. The coaching staff down there is, like, top-notch. So if this was a, a prep school, then that's like Harvard, you know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, now, for those that aren't aware, uh, here in Canada, you're also, um, you also appear on the Aftermath TV show, which is... Uh, a show that previews, reviews, show um, the WWE product. Um, how do you find kind of that analyst portion to your post wrestling career? How, how has that transition been? Oh, I loved it, man. So yeah, I knew my neck was uh, again. It was. It was. I wasn't after my surgery. I knew it wasn't getting better to the point where I'd be able to wrestle. So I touched base with some of the guys. I you know. Um, uh, Greg Sansone said, hey, look, when, when I'm done, I'd like to come over and work on Sportsnet in some capacity. And um, I also wanted to work with Fight Network. They're both based out of Toronto. And I, I didn't know if was, I was going to be able to uh, to do that. But sure enough, uh, we, we made it work. So today, so yesterday, every Tuesday, we film Aftermath. And today, I'm going down to Liberty Village where there's Anthem Sports, the, the people that own Fight Network. And we re-record a show on the Twitch platform called Behind the Lights, and that's live from 4 to 6 today on Twitch, forward slash impact. And, um, yeah, so, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm here coaching at the gym, and Tuesday, Wednesday, I got my TV shows, and then 
on the weekends, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in, I'm a judo coach as well. So tomorrow I got to fly to Hungary and I'm participating in the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix judo tournament as a uh, commentator. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun weekend. Busy. I'm very busy, but I get to do all the things I like to do, right? Pro wrestling and talking about wrestling and, and judo and talking about judo. So I'm, I'm pretty blessed right now. I can't complain at all. Um, you, you mentioned uh, judo and your passion for that as well. Um, mixed martial arts itself, um, what's your your opinion on it's it's a different brand per se, but it tends to have a bit of a crossover. You've seen the Ronda Rousey's and Shayna Baszler's and, and uh, the the entire four horsewomen that are part of it and the Brock Lesnar crossover. Do you find that uh, there's more of that that's going to be taking place? Um, your experiences, is there that common niche that they just seamless and that they fit together? What's your perspective on it? Yeah, well, that, that was the whole thing. When I first went to Japan, the original Battle Arts, they were doing work shoots. So these professional wrestling matches looked like high-level MMA fights. And, it, you know, there was still a work at the end of the day, but they were, it's a genre that I fell in love with. And the professional wrestlers and the MMA fighters would train together. And very often, a pro wrestler would jump into the MMA fight with pride, and um, some of the pro wrestlers, some of the MMA fighters, would jump into a, a pro wrestling show. So, you know, back in 2004, with the growth of MMA, I realized that these two lines are going to intersect in the future. So when I came back, since day one, I've been teaching that hybrid of MMA. Uh, so my students can wrestle pro wrestling. Uh, they can do a work shoot, like an MMA fight, and ultimately a hybrid of the two. And my prediction is becoming a reality as we speak with people like, you know, Samoa Joe's technique, Shinsuke Nakamura's style, uh, of course, Ronda and Brock, and, you know, Cain Velasquez was at the Performance Center last week, and Daniel Cormier is a huge wrestling fan, Chael Sonnen. There's a lot of MMA guys that are crossing over, so who knows, maybe we'll have a a, um, a branch of that work shoot style. And it's uh, it's interesting. It's almost like you're looking at my cheat sheet, but <laughs> I, I wonder is that possibility of of a UFC WD working um, something seamless, or is it about um, who ultimately comes out on top? Is it a matter of um, what looks what's good on paper for business may not look good in the eyes of the fans because you're there are those that are very specific in their passion for MMA, and there are those that are uh, wrestling should be just as well respected. Yeah, well, there, there already is that genre, right? Like the right. Uh, UWF or Pancraze. It, it exists already. People just haven't been exposed to it. And there will be those people that, you know, reject it. And there will be those people that embrace it wholeheartedly. Um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes anyway. But we're trying to position ourselves so that we're, we're there wherever it goes. Uh, how about larger companies, say a WWE and a UFC um, crossing paths, doing more than just having talent kind of show up, but um, being built in? Do you think that's that would work as a possibility, or their um, egos tend to get in the way of something like that? No, um, anything can work. Anything can work if it's done right. You know, uh, you, have, you have to have the right guy. And when I got to uh, OVW, I had Rip Rogers, and he said, look, 
leave your MMA judo shit at the door. This is not bad. This is phony wrestling. And if you know the promoter says you're going to get hit by a, a a giant feather from a guy in a chicken costume and you're going to get knocked out, well, that that's what's going to happen. So this is like um, getting a movie part, and um, you, you you take the role that you're given. So uh, I think everyone understands that. There really should not be an ego because at the end of the day, when you put it down, we're pretending we're fighting, and you have to remember that. So that's the thing, right? You can't take it so serious, but you have to take the, the industry and, and your work ethic very serious. It's an interesting dichotomy. Uh, I, I got to ask, what ran through your head when Rip Rogers mentions that? <laughs> no, he was absolutely right, you know? He was absolutely right. It was very useful. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, if shock or surprise, a giant what with a howl, and this is what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, well, so, I mean, he didn't say those exact words. <laughs> no, but even paraphrasing, it's just the concept, yeah, I right? I'm trying to point the picture that this is not where you're coming from. This is very different. So does it, winning winning a match in, in, in WWE is just as phony as losing a match. And we have to understand that. Even though we all want to win subconsciously, we want to have our arm raised, you have to know that this is like getting a part in a movie. Mm-hmm. And if you get the part of the bad guy in the movie and you're going to die in the end, um, you still got a part in the movie. So that's what we have to focus on, the fact that we're, we've got a part in this story. That's a great attitude, though, that anyone that approaches it has to. It's not necessarily about wins and losses, but how you help to tell for the story. Um, before we do let you go, we were just curious if you'd be interested in taking part in a little game. So the game that we're doing is called Wrestling Tinder. Yep. Okay. Uh, again, if you're interested in the topic, you swipe right. If you're not interested in the topic, you swipe left. This is something we just do just on the podcast. I'm trying to have a little fun. Okay. Okay. So again, if you're not interested in the topic, then I end up having to scrounge on the spot and try and think of something that might capture your capture your interest, and we can roll with that. Um, so uh, we talk about complexity of styles in the ring, um, and we talk about the different flavors that are out there. Again, is there is there a place for intergender wrestling in today's professional wrestling world? I think so, yeah. Sweet swipe right, I guess. Okay, go for it. Uh, maybe just to elaborate as to why you feel that's okay. Uh, well, it's important. It's important. I mean, there are 180-pound um, women that can fight 180-pound men. Um, you know, there are characters that have big egos and need to be put in their place and humbled. And I mean, there are biological differences. Men and women are not the same strengths. And, you know... But but I think it makes for a, a good a good story. It has to be done right, you know. Okay, fair enough. Um, we we talk about the the boom in the UK, the boom in uh, Canada, the explosion of talent really is happening all over the world. Um, again, will we ever see specifically um, a program that's now we have the shimmers and the shines, but will we see something on a major? Um, regulated platform for women, uh, not just women, but could we also see something for transgenders, uh, for those that open up to different cultures, different subcultures, uh, as being something that's a major, not necessarily looked at as, as a niche, but these are, this is part of embracing everybody in different cultures. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, 
Um, there may be a transgender wrestler uh, very soon. And I, I think the wrestling industry is very welcoming to anybody because we, if you look where we came from, we came from the circus, you know? Mm-hmm. You have the eight-foot guy, you got the midget, you got the bearded lady, you got the flame eater. So we come from a very eclectic group of people in general, you know? Everyone's different. Even now on the card, you have giants and high flyers and, you know, pretty girls and monster girls. And yeah, we're, we're just very, very eclectic. So I think if that was going to work anywhere, it would work in professional wrestling because we're already like that. By, by, by the nature. Also, at the end of the day, you have to remember, if it makes money, then it's good to go. Anything. And, and that's the outset, right? That's the intent of anything. But um, you worry that some people try to, um, they, they'll, cash, they'll throw a slur uh, as believing that they're part of a character. Um, it's not going to be well received, especially not in today's society. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that was something that just recently happened too, which is kind of scary. Um, so, again, I do want to thank Anthony Corelli, um, a.k.a. Santino Morella, uh, for his time and his energy. Again, Santino, thank you very much for your time. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. On behalf of Santino Morella, this is Mark Madison for the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast with Mark Madison. Once again, thank you so much to Anthony Corelli, a.k.a. Santino Marella, for this interview. Visit ProWrestlingPost.com for interviews, blogs, and upcoming events in your area. Once again, find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, or whatever podcast app you prefer.